0: From the New York City area, welcome to The Badass Counseling Show,
1: where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep and gives balm for the soul, baby.
2: Hello, hello. Welcome to The Badass Counseling Show. It's wonderful to have you here, wherever you are checking in from. From the Grand Tetons, the Grand Forks, from Italy to Japan, we love having you here listening to our show. This is the Badass Counseling Show, and you have reached one of our counseling episodes. This is our Thursday show, where we have someone or someone's on, and they, God bless them, they open up and they
1: trust us with their stories. Rob, by the way, how are you today? I'm doing very well, Sven, and I'm excited because we have a slightly older guest tonight, closer to your age. So, you know, you'll, you'll be comfortable. These things don't matter to me. <laughs>
2: and Casey is in the booth as well. And she's waving a hello to all of you looking just as productive as she always does getting things done. Busy, busy, busy. So Rob, go ahead and
1: uh, tell us about Pam, if you would, please. All right, here we go, my friend. Pam wrote into us and said, my mother is almost 93 and I'm 67. Believe it or not, I'm just now realizing the strength I have taken pride in all my life is, in fact, bullshit. My mother recently informed me that I'm overbearing, I dominate every conversation, and embarrass her. Okay, she set off a long, dormant landmine in my life, and I'm reeling. I buried that landmine so deep that even I thought I had just gotten over it. Spending 10 years in therapy, 5 years in my early 30s, and 5 years in my late 50s, did not help me resolve my issues with my mother. In fact, I protected her in therapy. Work has also been a struggle lately following COVID and my second bout with breast cancer last year. Here's the thing. I'm feeling enraged at her for all the time she failed to protect me as a child. Not sexual abuse, but rather from her best friend who was an evil bitch. When I discussed this with her, she said, I'm sorry you feel that way, and why are you still living in the past? So now I'm dealing with a flood of memories, which she'll insist never happened. Looking back at my life, I think I can now understand a lot of the reasons why my choices were so fucked up and why intimacy is difficult for me. I don't think I'll ever hear an apology from her. I don't think she's capable of it. On the flip side, being angry with her when we could lose her at any moment doesn't feel good to me. Pam, it's great to have you on the show.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
2: It's it's our pleasure completely. This is quite a story, Pam. Uh, I want to ask you right out of the gate, though, uh, first things first. And I got to know, how did the second bout with breast cancer go?
0: Uh, I'm fine. Thank you. I had a, a second mastectomy. Um, little little silver linings. I never have to wear a bra again. And that <laughs> that in and of itself is a win. So I'm here, I'm alive, and uh, the second time was a much, much bigger emotional battle than the first Mm. time, but um, I feel good. You know, physically, I I feel pretty good. The the stress lately has made me, uh, you know, I'm having like ocular migraines and, and stuff like that because I just, I'm feeling very unsettled.
2: I hear you. And is the unsettled because of the breast cancer or because of what Rob read to us today?
0: Uh, I think it's a combination. I think the two years of COVID, which I pretty much coasted through in terms of work and and uh, my husband and I, you know, managed through it pretty well. And then to get broadsided with breast cancer was difficult. And in between that, my mother had had a couple of operations, the first of which was unsuccessful. But I'm her go-to person. I'm the oldest of her four children. And um, I'm the daughter who lives closest. My sister lives in Virginia. My brothers are, they do great, but, you know, they're brothers. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. different. Mm -hmm. The daughter is usually, uh, you know, the go-to person. And I've done that, actually, since 1989, when my grandfather uh, was ill. I remember being there every day for my grandmother and for my grandfather in the hospital. And uh, subsequently, I I was there for my father-in-law, my mother-in-law, my cousin, whom I lived with for three months, uh, 10 years ago, when she died from stage four pancreatic cancer. Having a twelve year old adopted daughter alone in the house. So
2: let me ask and that's a massive load for a very long time, at least for right. thirty-four years since eighty nine. I want to ask you this. Mm. How and it's, and it's an odd question, sort of a Sven question. You'll be thinking, This is fucking stupid. This guy's an idiot. <laughs> Although if you didn't know I'm an idiot already, then I can't. No, I, I love can't help you. You're it. my right. kind
0: of idiot if you're an idiot.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you this. How was the message, in what form? Was it spoken, unspoken? If spoken, what were the words? Was it a look? Was it How was it conveyed to you as a child? What messages do you recall? Again, spoken, unspoken, whatever it might be. How was it conveyed to you that you were responsible for taking care of whether it was your younger siblings or more specifically mom, if you were, and maybe you weren't, as a young person expected to sort of whether take care of her physically or look out for her feelings or bow to her feelings or wants or needs, was there any conveyance of a message of expectation that you have to take care of? Again, whoever that might be.
0: Well, definitely for my siblings. Because I was the oldest, my sister was born when I was just shy of nine years old. You know, my mother had the three older kids. And, it, you know, I, I think I need to give you a little bit of context with respect to my mother. She is a Holocaust survivor. And she was displaced uh, when she was nine years old from their home in Germany. And they ran for their lives to England and then eventually here where she was picked on unmercifully at school. And, you know, I intellectually understand that a person can't give you what they don't have, what they didn't get. Mm-hmm. And my mother-in-law, my, my grandparents, who were phenomenal grandparents, were difficult parents. My grandmother was destroyed by uh, the loss of, you know, almost her entire family. And my grandfather was a hard ass, you know, great guy, great sense of humor. So my mom, you know, our house wasn't the house you came to for milk and cookies. Let's put it that way. You know, she um, she was not emotionally available to me. And I know there were expectations. I was terrified of disappointing her.
2: Okay, stop, and, stop. Um, Why were you okay. terrified? What would happen Or if you disappointed her? Why were you terrified of disappointing her? Is it that you'd get yelled at, or is it that she'd give you a look, or was it, uh, you know, kid knowing she's letting mom down? And why would you even think you were letting mom down? Why were you terrified? What did you fear in disappointing mom? Disapproval. How would that be conveyed?
0: Well, it's interesting because it wouldn't necessarily be conveyed in one moment. Okay. It would. It was like a compilation of. Um, it was a compilation so interestingly i appear to be very Mm self-confident but i am uh quaking inside a lot of the time and i always have been so the disapproval was personal to me because i gave everything i always gave everything my all and if that wasn't enough what does that mean And Um, and and where I wasn't enough,
2: but where did you get the message? A that you had to give it your all, which is a message because plenty of kids don't get that message. Even that generation, plenty of kids. And granted, you know, setting aside the uniqueness of Holocaust survivor mother. Um, Mm -hmm. Okay. But setting that aside, there are any number of messages you could have gotten, like, it doesn't matter what you do. I don't see you anyway. I'm so caught up in my own shit. Or, you know what? Just do what makes you happy. Or there's any number of messages, but you got, you know, do your best. And then on top of that, you would get the message, it's not good enough. Okay? So then you strive even harder because it feels so disappointing. So where did the, how was the message conveyed of, I expect the most from you, and how was it conveyed um, you didn't measure up. I'm disappointed in you. How was that conveyed?
0: I'll give you a later in life example, because I can't Great. tell you that I honestly remember sure. the the childhood
2: uh, version.
0: My mother prepared for the Jewish holidays every year. And as I got older, she went back to work when I she went to work when I was about 14 years old. Um. And prior, and when she went back to work, there was responsibility for the younger siblings, absolutely, to be there when um, she was not home. But on the Jewish holidays, she was uptight. I always knew she was uptight, even though she prepared in stages, but there were always complaints that we didn't help enough, we didn't do enough um, to help her even though she was very nonspecific about what would have helped her. So I remember when I I was in my twenties that it was the Jewish holidays. I took great pains to clean everything after dinner. And um, I was getting ready to leave. And my mother noticed there was a pot apparently left on the stove and she flipped the fuck out and I remember storming out of the house. I wouldn't talk to her for like two weeks. My father called me and he said, you know, your mother's very upset. And um, she was upset that I wasn't talking to her. And I just want to tell you that your mother is the most honest person I know. And I said to myself, really? Um, That's honest. And if he had said blunt, I would have said yes. So, my mother's favorite expression with us was, I don't have to walk on eggshells with my children, which meant she had carte blanche to say whatever she wanted at any time. And I was, I never saw myself as a particularly sensitive kid, but I, I guess I was um, because I was wounded constantly. Right. So my sense of self was such a nebulous kind of organism that I didn't know where I be where I ended and she began. So all, all I wanted was an atta
2: Right.
0: And I right. never got it. As a matter of fact, we were very specifically um not to gloat, not to be too full of ourselves. Not to not to feel really good about something. And when I did feel good about some things, they were very minimized, mm, you know? Mm. Uh, for example, when I was eight years old, I was at day camp and I won the best athlete award for the summer. And I was stunned. I never viewed myself as athletic even as a, I played kickball. I was good at that, but I was a good bowler, but that was such a moment of pride for me. And it just, you know, evaporated into the ether. I didn't expect a party in balloons, but, um, you know, any good thing was just minimized, always minimized. Well,
2: and, and that's, that's so harmful for the kid. They're not allowed to feel good about themselves. And I've had plenty of clients over the years who have that exact same experience, and so they play they eventually, they get the message and they start playing down their own successes, or they start not sharing them uh, because it's not safe. Or why even mm-hmm. get excited about anything because it's going to get undermined or somebody's or it might get destroyed or whatever. And so you, in some ways, now maybe this wasn't your experience. In some ways, you stop aiming to be great at something because it's just gonna be minimized anyway. So by being better at something, I'm setting myself up for pain if it's minimized, because the minimizing of it would hurt. Now, what, how, what was the effect for you, though? That may not have been your experience. What was the effect of on you regarding achieving or regarding success or going after what you wanted in life? What was the effect on that of mom minimizing your experiences and your accomplishments?
0: Oh, it took all different forms. I think um, one of which, well, fast forward to my 20s, I became, once I once I stopped saying no to boys, once I said yes, I became promiscuous.
2: That, you, that usually happens. One usually follows the other, Pam.
0: <laughs> but and not if you have a really good sense of self-esteem. Right, you don't I'm, go looking for love in all right. the wrong places, okay. right? I mean, and some of the chances I took were... I mean I think I'm lucky to be alive. All right. You know, I really am. And what do you think and, you were
2: doing? What do you think triggered that shift from no to yes? What were you looking for?
0: It's to me it was pretty obvious that I was looking for unconditional love and approval and I was looking for it without emotional connection. I just wanted I wanted some positivity. I was an attractive girl. Um I wanted someone to love me for of course, me
2: of course and you, you know? get and you get somebody especially someone you know for someone who is heterosexual you get someone of the opposite sex giving you that approval giving you that attention and it's like balm and gilead i mean that is like water in the desert and, and you gotta tell you go ahead
0: it didn't it didn't work
2: no no
0: <laughs> it didn't even in the moment I mean, in, or not at all <clears> Hmm. <throat>
2: In the moment, did you have got boys that you hung on to?
0: I wish I could remember. See, there were no relationships except for one two-year relationship that was with a guy who um, was a project, okay. and uh, there's nothing a woman with no self-esteem likes more than a male project. <laughs> so, um, but, so it, it didn't feel good.
2: No. So let but, me let me ask you then. I want I want to come back to this piece in in childhood, uh, a couple of pieces, actually. Um, you you opened the story uh, telling about your mom. Um, and, you know, because I had asked, you know, how were things conveyed and so on and so forth. And you told me a couple of things right out of the gate. Very first thing you told me about your mother was she's a Holocaust survivor. Notable, worthy of being told. Indisputable, indisputable. Then you went on to tell me and she was picked on horribly and so on and so forth. And it was fascinating that, I asked about you and your experience of your mother and you told me your story her a bit of her story which tells me that gives me some background but it makes me wonder how much of you as you said in your write up that Rob read for us you said um mom I uh mom said I dominate every conversation now embarrass her now And she set off a long-dormant landmine, long-dormant landmine in my life. I'm reeling. i buried that landmine so deep. Okay. I'm going to ask you in a minute what the landmine is. We're going to talk about that landmine. But what I want to know first is, what do you think triggered the burying of the landmine? Was it just fear that if I let my real feelings out, mom wouldn't have it because you're not doing enough? Basically, shut up, kid. Get to work where there's responsibilities do. Or how much of your feelings toward your mom, and whether it's the anger, the resentment, or the just hurt, was buried because you were taught to feel bad for her? I mean, you opened by making us, whether intentionally or not. You got Holocaust survivor, and she was picked on horribly as a kid. You got that out of your mouth, and now we have sympathy for your mom which is fine, nothing wrong with you telling that story that way, but it leads me to believe, have you been conditioned to see her pain above your pain? Have you been conditioned to make understanding mom's story so much more important than your own story? And has it been, oh, I gotta go easy on mom, I gotta take care of mom and help out mom, and also I'm kind of afraid of mom, so I'm gonna bury this fucking landmine really deep because my feelings aren't allowed. Um, play around with that. What does Does that make any sense to you?
0: Yes and no. Like, go for um, it. Yes, because I don't think I had the emotional awareness of that when I was a kid. I mean, I knew the story because we lived it. Um, I mean, it was it was known to me. We lived it, but my mom never really talked about it. Mm-hmm. So I never, my mother does not disclose her feelings with ease. Mm-hmm. And I'm protective of her because I know. That she's very much like me, and that we put on a very—you um, know—I have—I have a pretty hard shell. Mm-hmm. That I've—I'm uh, in sales, mm-hmm. so the rejection is, you know, and but I've managed to thrive in that environment. It could be because of my childhood, but I uh, almost lost the train of my uh, train of thought here. But with respect to my mother, remember I said I protected her yes. in in uh, therapy that's just i did the same thing just now yep. even though her beginnings uh informed who she is it also made her like not the perfect mom for me mm. because i needed i needed some good you know i needed to feel good and my mother when we talked so point of fact i did blow up uh recently Mm. And um she didn't know what hit her. And because
2: what did you say? What was the biggest thing you said when you blew up at mom recently? What was the most powerful or the one that either A felt the most relief or after you said it, it's like, oh shit, did I just say that? What was the biggest thing you said to mom?
0: That for my whole fucking life, all I ever really wanted from her was approval. And that I was worth something, and she said, "But I've always felt that way." And I said, "Felt, but I don't know." Well, she said, "I've always felt that way about you. Right. I've always loved you." And but feeling you know, and saying
2: are two different things, Ma.
0: Exactly. Well, my mom's very cutting, and on the afternoon that she said you're overbearing and dominate every conversation, wasn't exactly new information to me. Because I do have a strong personality. I've had to have that. Sure. But it's also that on that day, I had disappointed her. Mm. She was, you know, I didn't tell her that I was coming that day because I wasn't sure if I was going to. It's a Saturday. And um, I went to breakfast with my friends. I had a great time. I go out to the car to call her and tell her that I got her a great loaf of bread and I'm headed over there. And she said, didn't you get the phone calls? My sister and I, your sister and I were calling you. We were worried about you and we couldn't get a hold of you. And my phone was in my pocket. It didn't ring. It didn't buzz. It didn't do any of the above. And so I was already rocked back on my heels because now I know. And when I got there, she was dressed to go out for lunch. So I naturally felt shit. I disappointed her. Then I sat down and we I wasn't there 10 minutes before we got onto the subject of i don't know what when she said that to me and and in the moment i didn't react in the moment i just was you know like here we go again you know you're 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 giving me my inventory and you know i come up wanting yet again uh because there are times when i can be a little inappropriate Mm -hmm. uh, with people that i don't know but i connect very easily with people
2: and so where did it go then
0: so I left. I called my husband, and I was sobbing mm-hmm. um, because I said she hit me where I live. And the things that I am proudest of myself about are my. It, it is my ability to connect with people. Mm-hmm. It is my strong personality. Mm-hmm. I'm not for everybody. I don't have to be. Mm-hmm. You know, I. Not everybody's going to love me. I get it, but that I embarrass her. That. Um, I'm overbearing. My husband once called me overbearing. He has a right. He lives with me, mm. you know, He mm. and I can be, mm-hmm. you know, in terms mm-hmm. of my relationship with him. But in the general scheme of things, it attacked my very being. That's what I felt like. It mm-hmm. attacked who I am. Mm-hmm. Not, um, I can't even.
2: Why did it land differently mm-hmm. coming from her as opposed to coming from, you know, um, you know, one of your clients or, you know, Susie, an old friend, but not somebody you're particularly close to, why does it land differently coming from mom in one sentence or less? What does it really boil down to?
0: I felt she didn't like me.
2: Right. Clearly. Clearly. I have, I have a question in this vein that I I really am itching to ask you. Um, but before I do, we're going to take a quick break. What are the aspects of yourself that you've still not made peace with? What is the single biggest core belief that is harming your life? Do you truly know the voice of your soul? These are just three of the hundreds of self-led questions that Sven has carefully curated for you to dive deep and pull up your most authentic self. Badass Wisdom on paperback is out November 20th, but if you just can't wait, the audiobook is available now on badasscounseling.com.
0: This show provides soul counseling, intended to entertain and inform, and is not medical advice. Now, back to the badass.
2: We are back. We are back with Pam. Pam, you said that uh, you buried that landmine so deep, and uh, which means it's been buried until recently. Although it blew up a bit uh, very recently when you said "fucking hell, mom." Uh, you said "fuck," I I just chose "fucking hell" because that's my latest thing. Um, and but then you said, "All I wanted was approval." So I want to ask you this question In, regarding the burying of the landmine and and regarding all the feelings of yours that to some degree you weren't allowed to have, which. By the way, before I get to the question, I've never been to England. I love England. I've never been to England. I've been to France, been to Italy, but never been to England. Okay. One of the things I love, I'm a bit of an Anglophile, and I love the British. And one of the dumb little things that I know about rulers really of any type, but when I think of England, I think of the Queen and so forth, that if you don't do everything just right when you're meeting the Queen or a ruler, of course, the Queen's past, rest her soul. Um but if you don't do everything right, it's seen as a breach of an etiquette. You're seen as boorish, or you're seen as the awkward American, or the the the, the these social gaffes. There's a grand mm-hmm. offense taken if I don't, you know, bow just right or at the certain depth, or there's a there's an offense taken if you don't refer to me as, you know, senior right whatever person. When the expectations are extraordinarily high and there's a tiny gaff. You're, it's just over the top. Oh, my God, Sven, you're just another fat, stupid, loud American. Even though I only did this tiny little thing, they just have really high expectations, right? But now, let's say with my girlfriend, you know, she knows that I fuck up all the time. So I can say something really just ill-timed or just thoughtless. And she'll point it out and she'll say, Sven, that kind of hurt. And I'm like, fucking hell, you're right. But is she saying, Sven, you're such a clumsy ass. Oh my God, what's your fucking prop? No, she's not saying that. Why? Because she's lowered the bar of expectation. She's lowered the bar of sort of how... justified she feels in getting pissed off but you know a monarch let's say somewhere where all the etiquette has to be proper there's a very slim margin of error of and so when your mom says to you you're dominating you're overbearing and all that if you've been set up to basically feel you have to be perfect and very often that's not even good enough then any tiny little thing where maybe her feelings aren't being taken in consideration or you're not helping enough do more do more come on come on do more or whatever it is and if you're not doing that basically at her beckoning it's a grand offense. You're this dominating bitch of a little daughter that I have that I'm I'm just oh I know I feel that I love you. Yeah, but you never say it. Okay, but do you see what I'm get, saying though about this notion that when the expectations are so high you have such a tiny margin of error and then the person's going to go overboard? Uh, potentially and and yeah, the so, overboard may not have been antagonizing <laughs> you, but the overboard was, you know, saying something like you're dominating and you're overbearing. And that plays right into your own insecurities. And it's coming from the most powerful person in your life, let's be honest. Go ahead.
0: Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I, I wondered where the messaging started when I was a kid, because I don't think my mother ever expected perfection from me. I mm-hmm. think my mother expected me to go along to get along you know it was just uh, for example we'd come home from school and and there was never the question how'd your day go it was like put your clothes on and go outside put your play clothes on and go outside it was like she didn't want to engage and so yeah and by the way i was a pretty trouble-free kid i mean i was good in school um My brother and I got along great. My little brother and I, a little, you know, but um, now that we're adults, we're all, you know, we all get along great, but we all have our own set of wounds from this. And uh, my mother, for example, I'll I'll give you another one. Remember I told you I was promiscuous. Mm -hmm. My mom and I were in the car one day. I must've been in my twenties. And she asked me how many people I'd slept with. And because I, I, never lied to her. I told her and it was, it was considerable. And she said to me, any port in a storm, huh? And I was like, yeah,
2: you walked right into that one. She got you.
0: She did, but she was looking to get me.
2: Oh, you think she was on the hunt that day?
0: Oh yeah. And that's the thing is it's very passive aggressive, you know, and I wasn't sure why she was asking me, but I was such an open mm-hmm. person, an open book, and, and with my mother. And I'm, you know, I have a, a difficult time being anything but what I am, mm-hmm. you know. So I wasn't going to change. I wasn't going to tell my mother it's none of your business, okay. even though I should have. Okay. Um, because I'm still very much her child and I still relate to her as her child instead of a grown woman with another grown woman. Um, So you opened up
2: and she gunned you down and it hurt.
0: It happens all the time.
2: Okay. And you you chose to respond to that by saying happens all the time, which means present tense, which means that same pattern still exists today. Let me ask then where I was going before. Um, Actually, I want to ask this first. You said she didn't want to engage. What's the underlying message that the parent is sending to the child when the parent basically never wants to engage with the child except to tell them to get to work or get out of the house or you're not doing enough? What really is the underlying message being sent to the child? I don't know. Well, clearly, it's if she doesn't want to engage, and then you go on to say, and I was pretty much a really good kid, the -hmm. underlying message is you don't matter. You matter if you're serving a function for me getting work done or whatever, but you don't matter in in for me to engage. I just yeah. l- let me ask you this. Did your mother yep. have did your mother have friends?
0: <laughs> yep.
2: And okay. And mm. your mother had a husband, your father. Yes, presumably. my dad
0: who's long deceased, okay. sadly.
2: And and rest his God rest his soul. And so so she knew how to engage I'm guessing she doesn't when she's with her friends, just tell them, you need to do more to help me, okay? You're not doing enough and complaining like she did with her kids. So she knew, so she engaged differently with different people. She engaged with Mm -hmm. her friends on an interactive way. She engaged with you. It sounds like on much more of a basically go outside and play, I can't deal until there's work to do or I need you to take care of your siblings because I'm going back to work now. In other words, it's not that she didn't know how. You've already proven to sure. me that she knew how to engage in different ways. She chose not to engage with you. She chose that. Yes. The underlying message being sent to the child is you don't matter.
0: Makes a lot of sense.
2: You don't. And and the parent may say, "I love you," and she may have her feelings. But you and I both know, feeling something. In a way, in the end, feelings don't matter if it's not translated into action. Now, I'm sure she put, you know, along with your father, you know, roof over your table, food on, or roof over your head, food on the table, et cetera. But that other grand need that's been missing so long, such that you've been locked into this pattern even up until age 67. So the question I want to ask you then is back to um, that sort of landmine and what got buried. But I want to ask a sort of different question regarding that, and it's simply this. So to the degree that you're able and comfortable, and you don't have to answer, you can tell me to go fuck myself. I won't be offended, all right? The question is simply this What's the one biggest thing that you'd be, one biggest true thing that you would be most scared to say about, not to, about your mother? You would never have to say it to her. What is the scariest thing? that you could think of, has to be true, that you could say about your mother, just saying it out loud, just not even saying, because you buried a fucking landmine. That means there's some Mm -hmm. shit in there. When we're talking about Mm -hmm. little girl, eight-year-old Pam, we're talking about 14-year-old Pam. There's so much shit going on inside of that girl, that 22-year-old girl, or whatever age you were that said, oh, porn in any story. It's like, really, ma? Fuck you. The natural response is, A, that hurts so badly, And the natural response, whether and of course, you would have never said it. You might not even ever say it now. But the point is, that's the feeling. The natural feeling response, even if I never vocalize it, we naturally feel hurt. And what happens when we feel hurt? Oh, we do what you did, Pam. We put on a shit shield. We put on all our armor and we go into fucking sales. We put on Mm -hmm. armor, right? And you've had armor protecting the goo inside your whole life. But that armor is a response to pain. Okay, so what I'm wondering is, what is the one biggest truth that you would would be most scared to say about your mom? Maybe because you feel bad or because you wouldn't want to hurt her feelings, even though she would never hear the words. What's the one I know, biggest I know one?
0: what I kind of know what you're getting at, and I said it once in therapy, and it caused me to sob. What is it? I won't be free until she's gone.
2: And why is that so scary for you to say? To the point where it even made you sob.
0: Because it's like wishing her gone. It's like wishing her gone. And I don't. Because I recognize, look, intellectually, there's a lot that I can see intellectually. What I can't seem to get a clear picture of is what what I can do now Mm -hmm. that will allow me to feel that sense of self without feeling like I can't breathe. Right.
2: No, I get it. I get it. And so let me ask you the follow-up question. Let's, let's just sort of keep going on the thread we're on. I hear you. It's, it's not, it's, it's what do I got to do? Because the truth is somebody doesn't have to die in order for us to feel free. In fact, nothing has to change with your relationship with your actual living breathing mother. What has mm-hmm. to happen in, in that you know great Goethe quote that says, you know, no man is truly free until he can live as though his father is dead. As though
0: I've, I've heard, I yes. know you
2: have. I know you have. And if you've read my book, you've okay. seen it in there. The point is this. Um, you didn't answer the question. I want you to listen. No, you didn't. Okay. And it was a great okay. answer. And it tells me a lot. And it's very vulnerable of you to say that. A very powerful answer that you just shared. And I'm grateful for that. But I want technically, if I'm being a little anal here, stay with me. What's the mm-hmm. biggest thing you'd be most scared to say about your mom? And you said, I won't be free until she's gone. But that doesn't tell me anything about her. Mm-hmm. That tells me about you. So That's, now I want to ask... She's as the bitchy. Follow- ah. <laughs> now let she's, me ask... She
0: can be a bitch.
2: Okay, she can be a bitch. Now, mm-hmm. is that truly the deepest thing that scares you the most uh, that you could possibly say about her? Because that almost... That almost comes as, as sort of matter of fact, almost a little easy off the tongue. Like it's so obviously mm-hmm. true. What would be the one thing that you could say about your mom, one true thing that you could say about your mom that maybe you're most scared to admit even to your fucking self?
0: Boy, I do have to dig for that one because, I mean, I can think of all the intellectual things to say. I can't think of the emotional connection to the question because I'm not letting myself go there. I mean, I'm protecting myself. And, from and just those thoughts
2: are you protecting yourself or you're protecting your mom i don't know okay let's let's know. okay fair enough let's just play around let's go back to how you answered the question i won't be free until she's gone all right we're gonna leave she can be a bitch and we're gonna leave the whatever it is about her but let me ask you this i won't be free until she's gone and the main reason in one sentence or less i won't be free until she's gone is what what does it really boil down to
0: what? I will not have to be subject to the continuous judgment and dismissal of my person.
2: And the reason you continue to allow her and the reason you continue to subject yourself to the dismissal uh, and so forth and disapproval of you as a person, the reason you continue to allow that and give her the right to do that and thereby tacitly endorse her behavior is what? What? What is the reason that you, for 67 years you have allowed that and allowed it and allowed it and allowed it? What's the fear? You're afraid oh of something. God. You're afraid of something. You keep letting her kick your ass because you're afraid. Is it that you're afraid to stand up to her and say no? You don't get to do this anymore. Is it that you're you're afraid of minimizing, you know, or reducing the amount of calls that you take? Is it just you're afraid of her saying, "Oh, you're such an ungrateful little, you know, dominating bitch"? Or what is it you're afraid of that keeps you allowing someone, a very important person, true? But what is it in you? What's the fear that keeps you alone? What are you so afraid of? What is the worst thing that could possibly happen if you were to stop allowing or at least just reduce the amount you allow this? What's the fear operating? What do you fear the most happening if you were to stand up and say no?
0: I think it's more about me than her. I think it would be that if I let if I let it fly. If I confront her now, I've confronted her. But
2: I'm not saying. But that. I haven't. I'm not saying okay. you have to confront her.
0: I'm just saying, just
2: say, just stop taking her calls, or when she's going off on you, or you you're going to pick up and you know she's going to come after you, or she's texting her, however she conveys it. You just don't answer the call, or when she says you need to show up here because I'm you know dressed up to go to lunch, or or you don't take the date with her. And others, what if you were to just back out of not entirely? I'm not saying you have to do that. But to a safe space where you're not getting your ass handed to to you all the time. What is the worst, the biggest thing you most fear happening? However you would define a safer space, what is it you most fear happening? Is it her saying, I'm so mad at you or you're such a disappointment of a child or what? Or is it how you would feel? You would feel bad. That's
0: how I'd feel about of myself. Of course it
2: is. Of course it is. And isn't it fascinating that you are programmed to feel bad when you stand up for yourself? That she put in an override switch and your dad tacitly endorsed. Mind mm-hmm. you, yeah. you go to dad and he says, hey, mom's upset and mom's the most honest person I know. So he's afraid of her too. He's endorsing her, basically saying in his kind way, shut the fuck up, kid. You know, you know what? Mm-hmm. She's right. You're wrong. You need to suck it up, blah, blah, blah. So everyone's negating your feelings. And so I guess what I'm wondering is, is you would feel bad. So it's been, she put in an override switch that anytime you want to stand up for yourself, the override switch flips and all of a sudden you feel guilty about it because it's mom's feelings. You need to look out for mom's feelings above all else. And is it reasonable to assume that that's the fucking landmine that's been down there the whole time? That you don't fucking matter and your feelings don't fucking matter. And it's all about mom's feelings. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: Okay. I'm going to ask you a really, really, really fucked up question right now. comes from an honest place. It's an honest question. Again, you can Mm -hmm. tell me to go fuck myself. You can say none. You can say whatever you want. If you were to be totally honest for one moment in time, knowing that your mother will never hear this, Wait, let me ask you this. Do you believe that it's possible to love someone, uh, but not love everything about them?
0: Absolutely. Of course.
2: Of course. Is it possible to hate someone, but not hate everything about them? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so let me ask you, what percent do you hate your mom? for everything, for the fucking landmine that you've had to keep buried, for feeling like shit about yourself, for never having true self-confidence, for just the, all the shit. And I mean, we're not even touching, dad. How much she you just, I mean, you still love her and adore her and respect her for what she's been through, etc. that's indisputable, that goes without saying. But I'm just asking, mm-hmm. when, if you were to truly uh, bring that landmine up and begin to diffuse it and get all the charges out of it, what percent, do you hate your mom for doing that shit to you to this day? And maybe 10%. hundred percent.
0: No. Yeah. Wow. There's more to the story. There's more to the story. I don't hate my mother. That's not what I'm saying. I know what I'm saying is what the things that she did actively and inactively totally dismissed me. Um, there was a mention in my my paragraph to you of a friend mm-hmm. that was my mother had a best friend yep. who was intensely mentally ill. Uh, or maybe not mentally ill. She she might have had a borderline personality mm-hmm. thing. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Evil but pitch. she used to beat she used to beat the shit out of her daughter. Mm-hmm. And uh, her daughter had a mental break at the age of like eight years old when they were on a cruise. She came home catatonic. Mm. My mother, um, she was never she never thought enough of me to tell me why she did some of the things she did with respect to this woman and her daughter, who I was. And you talk about responsibility. I was expected to include her. In things, take her with me when I went bowling, or if I went to temple, or if I went for you know whatever. Mm-hmm. I was responsible for her,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and this woman. One day I come home, and I was with my friend Ivy, who was a neighbor. I hadn't thought to ask Eileen or invite her or any of that, and um, my mother is sitting at the table with Letty. And she, uh, they accused me of purposefully, uh, Letty accused me of purposely not including her daughter. And I said, that's not what happened. I came home from school. This happened. I went over, Ivy, blah, blah. And my mother didn't stand up for me. Mm. I slept for two days. Mm. I was betrayed. My own mother betrayed me. The only one who ever stood up for me against this woman was my grandmother, hmm. who kicked her out of the house when she marched in one day and told me to pick my fat face up and look at her when she talks to me. Wow. That's what this neighbor, that's what this woman did. My grandmother said, get out.
2: What's, stir- what is, what's set off or what happens inside of a daughter when her own mother betrays her? Doesn't, not only doesn't stand up for you, but really betrays her and lets another human being do damage and befriends that other human being and makes you responsible for that other human being's daughter. What, mm-hmm. what, is, what is the landmine? Put it in one sentence or less. What is the landmine that you have felt for your mother your whole life that you have buried so deeply? What is it we're talking about? Come on.
0: She betrayed me. She doesn't love me. She doesn't protect me. I don't mean anything. I'm a vessel, a tool. Uh, I didn't know. All I knew was I have no status here. I have no status as a human being. I am, and by the way, I discussed this with her recently, and she said to me, she did, by the way, apologize to me this past weekend in a manner of speaking. Mm. Because I told her, I relived that incident to her, which, by the way, she doesn't recall. Of
2: course. Of course. Convenient.
0: Um, because everything that affected me never happened. Right. According according to her. And she, my sister had, had been talking to her, too, because mm-hmm. my sister and I had spoken. and So what did she apologize for?
2: What did she apologize for?
0: She said, in my trying to help someone else's child, I may have harmed my own.
2: Wait. And uh, I'm sorry. Okay. And let me ask, was that sort of a five cent apology for a $500 crime? Because it kind of sounded like it on this end.
0: I think if she had to take a good look at herself, her own landmine might go off.
2: At you know? her parents? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: No, at, at her, whatever her landmine is. Whatever her, whatever her you know, existential pain is that she will never show vulnerability is not something she is. And neither am I, uh, as a rule.
2: Yeah. And yet Mm -hmm. you acknowledge, at least in your own life, that that notion of not being vulnerable perhaps hasn't served you well. In fact, you call it bullshit. Right. Right. Um, and so let me ask you, what does it feel like to say things like, um, she doesn't love me. She doesn't protect me. I have no status and i hate my mom 100% for the shit she did what does it feel like give me a feeling word for how it feels to say those things out loud
0: not not good
2: okay not, not good, good is technically not a feeling so give me a feeling word mad sad bad glad frustrated excited Dis- exuberant loyal this there Dis- it is loyal there's the override switch That if you speak, you had to bury that landmine because if you spoke or even thought how you really feel, it was a betrayal of her. Now, she had carte blanche to betray you, as we saw in just flowery fashion, right? She fully had every right, but you could not. And so let me ask you then, in all of this What is it, and I'd asked you before, you know, what you most feared saying, and and ultimately you said what it was, and then you feared how you would feel. Right. But what did you fear from her? What do you fear most? Actually, let me put it this way. What is the one sentence that you most fear your mother ever saying to you? What is the one sentence that would hurt the very most? Put it in one sentence for my small brain, please.
0: I never want to see you again. (laughs)
2: <laughs> oh, wow. And the reason that would hurt so bad, that sort of uh, banishing you out to the desert, um, I never want to see you again. Why would that hurt so badly?
0: Because it would just confirm everything I already feel.
2: I, oh, agree. And what is it, if you were to encapsulate what it is you already feel, what is that?
0: Perpetual emotional pain. Perpetual...
2: Dismissal. Dismissal. All right. Pain from dismissal. I want to ask you this, though. When you say, I never want to see you again, and you say it would confirm what I feel, that you don't matter, and she's pushing you away, but yet, even worse, you said to her very recently, all I ever fucking wanted was approval. And yet, you've continued to be, respectfully, her lapdog, you know, and sort of her whipping stick at times, you know, her shit stick at times. So her saying, I never want to see you again, doesn't just confirm what you've always felt from her. It eliminates the possibility of you ever getting what you've always wanted from her. It means you admitting at 67 years old, I have never gotten her approval and I am never going to get her approval. I've spent my lifetime bending and contorting and doing all sorts of emotional life, uh, career, whatever, gymnastics to try to get this woman's approval who I've looked up to and I've just wanted one attaboy, one pat on the back, one I'm so proud of you, sweetheart. You are my girl in whom I am well pleased. I have just wanted it once. And by her pushing you away, I never want to see you again, it forces you to say, I am now never going to get what I've spent my whole life working for. And you don't want to admit that. And that's okay. You don't want to admit that you have a 67 year pattern of behavior. A 67 year pattern of behavior that you are still <laughs> hoping is going to change. And it's wow. not. I know. And I know you know. And but wow. I know. And,
0: yeah. Wow. It's uh it's a friend of mine once said to me, if you never leave a void, no one will fill it. Hmm. And boy, did that resonate with me, because I insert myself into situations, and I want to be helpful, I want to be empathetic, and what's so funny is I don't come by that naturally. Mm. Well, right. That is a construct
2: of... Course. of the, of course, you can't you know. be. You can, you're not empathetic towards yourself because the underlying message is you don't matter. Fundamentally, the difference when I and I talk about this in the book, the difference between messages like "you're not wanted," "you're not wantable," or uh, "you're not good enough," or "you're no good" versus "you're good." Those are value judgments of a person. But to say you don't matter is an existential statement. It's saying you don't. need, You as you, other than the function you serve, you as you for your being, not for your doing, but for your being doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. So you can't self-confirm. You can't look at your own worth because you've been fundamentally taught that you as Pam, your God-given self, what was written on your soul by life, by universe, by God, whatever your theology is, that who you actually are doesn't fucking matter. You exist to serve my purposes. And you're wanting confirmation. You're wanting what we all want. We all want to be seen for who we really are, and to have the person stay, to have the person treat who we are with honor and, and awe and, and love and wanting who we really are. But you've been conditioned to believe your entire life by the most powerful person in your life, who you really are. I really don't give a shit. I really and truly don't give a shit. And yet, and so you've done your whole life as this persona of who you were expected to be. And I have no doubt you've been exceptionally good at it. Uh, but it wasn't you. In full and right. Mm -hmm. So if I push this person out, if I acknowledge the truth, then I have this gaping hole inside. And, well, you know, what fills a vacuum? Something's got to fill the vacuum. Uh, Let me ask you this. Accurate or inaccurate statement? True or false? When I think about the fact that mom never, ever met my emotional needs, that, yeah, she, she showed me a work ethic, that's for damn sure, and toughen me up, and you know, those things. And hey, those have probably served you well, etc. But when it comes to forgive me, being a mother, <laughs> you know, that connection, that love, and it's father too, okay? Because fathers can be mm-hmm. very loving. So I'm not trying to be sexist, but when it comes to having a mother, you've been alone the whole time. True or false? True. How does it feel to say
0: emotionally? That? Yes, emotionally.
2: How does it feel to say that?
0: Uh, well, I knew it, but saying I it, I never wanted to believe it
2: because I
0: didn't want to believe it
2: because
0: because it means, would make it would just validate that I'm a piece of shit, right? You know, right? Or no? And I don't think she ever. You know, I I hate to, to but, say it that way, but, but it's is it, but isn't that it way. interesting?
2: You said it that way because that's how you yeah. felt. And, and isn't it interesting? I don't want to say it that way, and I'm betting the end of that sentence is because it makes mom look bad or some derivative of that, right? Or it mm-hmm. makes me look like right. a pussy and I'm weak or, or something. It's either something, mm-hmm. it would say something bad about her, or it would say something bad you know, that I'm weak, whatever it is. But that is how you feel, and that's how right. you felt. The landmine is you've been wounded the whole time, and you're so fucking pissed off at your mom. And that she wasn't there for you. And I don't doubt you love her now. And I don't doubt, you know, my mom died at 93. I get it, okay? I get it. Um, but the truth is, you never have to change word one with your mom. You never have to have ever have a confrontation. What you do have to do, you said, well, how do I heal? Sven, so, what? Give me the what. The what is... For the first time in your life at age 67, you now have to have the courage to bring up those feelings honestly and fucking say them, not just think them. Thinking is bullshit. Thinking is leaving that favorite Hanukkah sweater in the motherfucking dryer and it goes and it goes and goes and goes and that sweater, that wool sweater gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Except because it's just tumbling around, tumbling around. You don't want to subject it to that heat. Except the thing is with those thoughts and those feelings, they tumble and tumble inside, they get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. You got to get it out. Mm-hmm pull the shit out of the dryer you have to flush it out you want to know how you heal regarding your mother you know you want to know how you finally fill that hole inside is by exposing the hole inside you want to know how you heal it's by finally having the courage to admit the shit your entire wonderful life horrible inner life your whole life all the shit you've kept buried now has to come out and you never ever have to say word one to your mother ever but you have to have you have to say word one to the mother of 8-year-old you and 12-year-old you and 23-year-old you and 37-year-old you you have to have the balls to bring it up now you're tough but are mm-hmm. you do you have the courage to look at the truth of how you really feel cuz you've heard me say it before the simple fact of the matter is you are conditioned to stop all your fucking feelings down cuz your fucking feelings didn't matter. We know mom didn't want to connect at that level and but we know she knew how to connect with other people but whatever. Your feelings don't fucking matter. You are a functionary in this home largely. So mm-hmm. what does the little girl do? She stuffs it into that cigar box that she found. All those feelings that she feels, closes it up, wraps it up in duct tape and sticks it way down deep inside under her, you know, under the bed next to her summer dresses. Okay? and all those feelings get buried well the thing is that cigar box became a vault that 14 37 51 year old you kept stuffing into that vault that's the landmine the vault full of all those feelings right and that little 7 year old girl has bring bringing that symbolic cigar box knowing there's a whole vault behind it she's been carrying it her whole life and now she's saying to you, please open it i wasn't strong enough you are please for once let my feelings come out and be honored just by you seeing them and get it out of me. She's not only been carrying your your authentic feelings and wanting you to heal her by letting those feelings out because you are stronger now, but also inside that box is the introduction for the first time in your life to your authentic self. That little seven-year-old girl holds the box in which it is your authentic self your authentic feelings that you were feeling, your authentic thoughts that you had, the good ones and the bad girl ones, everything is inside of that box. She has the power to set you free to finally become who you really are and mom doesn't have to die. Mom of present day America does not have to die. Mom of 55 years old, she has to be put to death because she was a fucking horrible parent at least when it came to that little girl's most precious stuff, her inner feelings. So you have the power to set her free by finally giving voice for the first time ever to how she was really feeling. And she has the power to set you free by finally introducing you to your authentic self and what your real feelings were. Because everything since those days has been an adaptation, a compensation for all the pain, Mm -hmm. all the shit that was done to you. You wanna do yourself a favor, you wanna know the what? The what is to go in there and start unpacking that cigar box and then the vault behind it. And that's why I wrote the book. There's a hole in my love cup. That's why I make all this shit. The journaling. And, and here's your assignment. Here's your assignment. Your assignment is, I want you to start with something very simple. In addition to the journaling, but I want you to start with something very simple. And I want, this is going to be more than once you're going to do this, but now right out of the gate, because it's going to look very different three months down the road or, or nine months down the road. But I want you, Get a glass of wine or a cup of coffee, whatever your thing is, you know, uh, edible, whatever your thing is, whatever just puts you in the mood. All right. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's just a a quiet early morning puts you in the mood or a late night, whatever it is. And I want you to write a letter to your mom. And I want you to write not just a letter, knowing she will never get it. You will never hit Mm -hmm. the send button. You will never put a stamp on it or slide it to her. She'll never see it because if you think you might give it to her someday, you're going to fucking edit that shit. And I don't want yeah. you to edit it. That's not the point. The point is to flush it all out. The point is this is if there's no editing, then you can say it in your language with the most emotion possible because you're you're good at staying up here in, in your noodle. I know. And T- oh, totally right, because it's never mm-hmm. you've you've never had full that little girl wants to acquaint you with your feeling self. And she needs you to set her free, but that's what's going to set you free to finally allow that vulnerability. But it's you saying, God damn it, my feelings matter. My feelings matter. And that's you affirming I matter. But it requires the courage to feel it, even though your knees are shaking and your pits are sweating. And write that letter to your mom and say, Mom, I'm going to be really fucking honest with you. And you're writing this shit down. I fucking hate what you did. Fuck you. Jeez, mom would it really have been so much you claim you love me but where was that exhibited in action and don't give me the, oh i put food on the table or i never hit you well thanks that's a high fucking bar you let that other broad yell at me you mm-hmm. know or whatever it is but i'm more angry at your mom than you are at the moment because i feel it this is where i want you to be with pen and paper or typing on your laptop whatever it is but you have okay. to begin the process of flushing it out, knowing you're not hurting your mom one bit. This doesn't. This isn't hurting your mom. This is you as a 67-year-old woman, and your mother's 93. That means there's a 26, 26,
0: 25.
2: Yeah, 25. Okay, so you're 67. And I want you to go back and give a spanking, a verbal spanking to 30-year-old her. You're talking as a 67-year-old now and saying, "Hey, la- hey, young lady, what are you doing to that girl?" Or go back to 42-year-old her when you're now 17 and say, "What are you thinking?" Whatever it is, mm-hmm. I need you to give her the tongue lashing that that 12 or 25 year old didn't have the courage to do to stand up for herself you need to find your voice and the more passion that it is in it the more cathartic the more you're getting that shit out of you does that make any sense at all pam
0: totally and i don't know why i didn't think of that before
2: well let me ask that you this
0: been let me ask you this
2: why did you never think of it before if you were to speculate.
0: I'm almost afraid of the depth of my anger.
2: Exactly. You know, exactly. I'm
0: afraid of it. I'm afraid it's going to come out my pores.
2: Yes. And it is, you know? and it is. And that's what you want. And, and so many people say, Oh, I'm not going to talk about hate. I'm not a hater. Sven. Why do you talk about hate? I'm not a hater. Yes, you are. You've got the hate inside. Of you. You've got the anger inside of you. It's not until you get it out of you that you cease to be a hater. Just denying it's there and not wanting to touch it. That's that doesn't mean anything. It's there and it's chewing you up now from the inside. Right, and so it's not only not only that you're afraid of the depth and the magnitude of it, which is totally understandable, which is why people don't want to do therapy. Whether it's the hate, whether it's the hurt, whether it's whatever, it, they fear it'll overwhelm them, and at times it will. And you'll recover, mm-hmm. and you'll pack it away for today, and you'll come back to it tomorrow or Saturday or next week. Okay, but here's the thing. The other reason that it was packed down is because, and you never thought of writing the letter, excuse me, the reason you never thought of writing the letter is because that would be a betrayal of your mother. You weren't even allowed to go 50 miles near anything that might look, you know, shine badly on her or be seen inside of your own self as a betrayal of your mother because your highest loyalty has always been whom? Her. Exactly. Exactly. You couldn't, you couldn't even think that, no, that, that was, you might as well have been a Martian saying that, write a letter to my mom. (laughs) Right, right. You get it. You get it. So let me ask you you this. I want to ask you one final question, Pam, and it's simply this. What's the final question you want to ask me?
0: Hmm. Once I do this now, I have to be honest and say, I have your book. I bought it. Mm -hmm. I've gotten through the first chapter and i have not i have not continued yet to to finish it so i'm not even that's at the okay. journaling that's okay um but i i love the fact that you break it down into biteable chunks so once i've done this work and i start to feel a little lighter what would you suggest would be the next step with respect to how I manage myself so that I can still love my mother and be there for her because I want to be.
2: I get it. Let me tell you, and maybe you guys have heard me tell you this story before, but uh, a very, very, very dear friend of mine, one of my closest friends in the world um, for a very long time, went through a period where she was hating her mother Actually, we had gotten together and it just hit her like two nights before. Sven, I've been working on my stuff and we had had some conversations recently and it hit her out of the blue and she called me. She was driving home from work and she called me and she said, Sven, it hit, it hit me. I hate my mother. My mother made me responsible for my younger siblings my whole life and even in adulthood, my younger siblings came to work for me, You know, my brother and he would just take advantage of me and whatever and, and my mom put that on me before she passed away take care of your younger siblings. And there were three of them and not just, you know, look out for them, but actually she, like I said, she was a successful woman, had a company, employed her little brother and one of her sisters. And um, the other one didn't work for, um, but, and she wasn't until she was in her, I want to say early fifties that she had the realization mom. And she adored her mother. All right. Mm -hmm. Greek family, adored her mother. And she said, I, I fucking hate my mom. I love her so much and I hate her so much because she saddled me with the you know family is everything family is everything take care of your family but the thing is she didn't saddle her family with the same thing back so they her brother took and took and took and one of her sisters same thing just took and took and took and and to the point where this dear friend of mine had nothing left I mean not you know I mean she took care of herself a little bit but I
0: understand
2: yeah she was just burnt out And she realized, I fucking hate my mom for putting that on me. And it was, and we interacted off and on for the next few years. And then it was, again, completely out of the blue. She was on a vacation uh, with her husband and she called me from a beach, wherever the hell it was. And she said, Sven, this was like two or three years later. She said, Sven, it's done. The hate, I, I got it out. And I think I'm ready to love my mother again. And it just feels hmm. lighter. So, the function is, I think, to answer your question, what happens? As you begin to feel lighter in, in small bites and so forth, well, first of all, then you start doing medium bites. Then you start doing large bites. My book early on hits you with what's the most traumatic thing in your life ever. And so for some people, it's like, uh, can we start small? And I'm like, yeah, start small. But you mm-hmm. then you do some more, then you do some more, then you do some more. And what happens, what you're going to find is a few things are going to happen. One, you're going to become lighter. Two, you're going to become less needing mom's approval because you're not just you're going to intellectually realize you'll never get it, but because you're honoring yourself by honoring your own feelings, so you less need it from her. The size that you have needed mom's approval is a direct correlation to the size that you feel disapproved of inside. So as you approve of yourself, you will less need it from her. Furthermore, you'll be filled with more and more calm, inside because that motor won't keep always running. When am I going to get it? When am I going to, I suck. When am I going to get approval? Who's going to approve me today? You know, the motor that's constantly fucking running, your motor's going to slow down. You're going to calm the fuck down. You're going to become lighter and you're not going to need it from her. And what's eventually going to come. If you have the balls to do it all, if you have the balls to do it all is you're going to realize I don't need it from her anymore. And eventually you'll reach the point of, I can accept her for who she is. That she just was this broken woman or she just wasn't a good mom. And even though she loves to portray the image that she was, which is a whole separate conversation of which grates at you more, that she was a horseshit mom or that she actually thought she was a great one, but we won't touch that right now. You can put that in your letter. But the bottom mm-hmm. line is, things are going to change inside of you and you're going to fucking relax, but you have to go through the turmoil of getting it out first. Mm-hmm. And and just, just trust that your own true self is speaking from within and that it's only speaking what your highest good is, but you have to get out all of those other messages first, all the crud, and that's where the courage comes in. And I think you want it bad enough. I think you're 67 and you're sick of not just mom shit, your own shit, and you just want to heal and be free. And I'm telling you, you can be free long before your mom is dead. And what that'll do for a relationship with her or without her is completely up to you. Um, Pam, I want to thank you so much for being on the show Um, I'm I'm grateful for your vulnerability as, as a tough woman. uh, I am grateful for your vulnerability and especially, you know, talking about mom stuff for someone with your history and and her history. uh, That was, that was really uh, uh, truthful and and deep and and I'm grateful for that. Thank you.
0: Thank you. You I've learned more from you. Than I've learned in that I learned in ten years of therapy, and I know you said why ter- why therapy doesn't work for some people. <laughs> that explains uh, it. <laughs> yeah, that explains it. Okay. Because I got to talk, 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 but it was all from up here. Right. And uh, well, you were the one, and, you, and you're hitting me.
2: You, well, you were the one that had the courage to go down there to let me take you down there, and so thank you for your courage. I Appreciate it. Thank and you. You bet. And for everyone listening in uh, around the world, I how is this resonating with you? What are the questions that you're wrestling with, and do you have the courage to go in them? Like Pam, on behalf of Rob and KC in the booth, have a kick-ass day.
0: The Badass Counseling Show is strictly copyrighted. No copies may be made without the express written consent of The Badass Counseling Show, LLC. The Badass Counseling Show is produced by Karen Camparelli and Robert H. Friedman. Executive producer, Sven Erlinson. Original music by two-time Emmy award-winning composer, Trevor Morris. Have a kick-ass day.